Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable Podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here is your host, Ryan Latham. Well, welcome to episode 48. I am excited that you have taken time out of your day to join us. Thank you so much for hitting that play button. Thank you for liking and sharing and commenting, uh, getting some great feedback. Thank you guys so much. Today, I am excited to share with you my conversation with Wes Beavis. We're going to talk about how can doing ministry lead you to being done with ministry. Ministry burnout, it's a real thing. It's a big thing, and I'm so excited to share with you this conversation. Wes, he is a pastor. He's a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in mental health with ministry leaders. Such a helpful conversation. And Wes is offering 50% off a, a consultation call if you mention the Pastors Roundtable or Renewed Leadership. I want to encourage you guys, give him a call. If you're in ministry and you just need someone to talk to, call Wes Beavis. Let him know that you listen to the Pastors Roundtable Renew Leadership. He's going to give you 50% off your first call. Well, guys, here's my conversation with Wes Beavis. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Let's jump right into my conversation with Wes here. We've been talking, having some fun talking about uh, running. We've been talking about uh, just life and ministry. And so I'm excited to continue this conversation with Wes here. So, uh, Wes, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Ryan, so good to be with you and awesome to be with your people. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're just so excited to dive into really what I feel like is just such a crucial conversation um, for ministry leaders, but uh, even more than that, uh, parents and um, just people in general, uh, this idea of mental health is really, uh, I think in a great way, becoming quite the the topic. And so I'm excited to uh, hear your perspective and your insights as this is really what you've spent a good part of your life doing. And so, uh, but I want to start off with this question. You are a pastor, ministry leader, and you're also a psychology um, teacher, uh, practice. Uh, so I want to see how those worlds came together because uh, they're not necessarily uh, your typical path to, that leads together. So I'd love to hear kind of a little bit of your journey of how you um, arrive, arrive to both of those. Yes. How do you go from being a, a pastor to being a doctor of clinical psychology? Um, like a lot of people that develop expertise, uh, it started with a problem and a really serious problem. Um, I, I had several really, well, several, I'd had two really uh, wonderful and I would describe the successful ministries in, in very large churches and, um, I guess I was at uh, one for seven or eight years and uh, the next one for about uh, five or six years. And then I went and uh, along with my wife and and kids, we went and planted a church. And um, 
planting a church turned out to be demonstrably different and and heart crushing abs- uh, actually um, and it was an absolute surprise because my, my first ministries were, were just so encouraging and invigorating and I thought well this is what ministry is you you're called you throw your heart into it things work out you know people get blessed and the church grows and and so while that was true for my first two ministries my third ministry my church planting ministry which is um, what I actually worked at even harder I, I just just the, the results were nowhere near what I'd experienced in my former ministries. And it, and it, caused, it caused a personal crisis. And, and that was my problem. I, at, at the time, I was severely burned out, but I didn't know it. Nobody talked about those things. And um, so the more I burned out, the more I isolated, and, and the more I just perpetuated the, uh, the symptoms of, of dysfunction in um, in personal well-being, so you know that was my problem, and so that developed a curiosity. It's like, why am I in this in this position? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why do I feel so miserable? Um, and and then that set me on the journey of researching. And so I went back to grad school. Always wanted to go back to graduate school and and earn my doctorate, but I just didn't think it was going to be in clinical psychology. But my my experience on the road of life up to that point just kind of it just it was a natural focus so i started with the problem it led to a lot of curiosity then i i went into researching it and in the process uh developed expertise i became a licensed clinical psychologist and and the focus of my dissertation my doctoral dissertation as many of your listeners may know uh, when you when you study at a doctoral level, you've got to add something new to the worldwide body of knowledge that's not been uh, uh, known before. And so my doctoral dissertation was on the uh, factors that lead to stress and burnout in ministry. And so that led me into private practice, offering my uh, developed expertise that, remember, originated in having a really big and personal problem in ministry, uh, it led me to being able to minister in a very unique way to pastors and ministry leaders, uh, helping them specifically um, on, on the subject of, of burnout. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of factors surrounding that, Ryan. You know, you've got depression, anxiety. I see uh, a lot of pastors in my private practice who have experienced panic attacks. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's, that's how I came to it. So I'm, I'm not pastoring a church at, at this point. I'm actually pastoring pastors who pastor churches. So it's yeah. a very specific uh, ministry and a very meaningful, worthwhile one, because I feel as I'm helping these pastors avoid uh, this, uh, the burnout uh, conditions and navigate the burnout symptoms. I'm actually uh, helping, you know, by default, thousands of people. Uh, Because Ryan, as you know, um, when a pastor goes sideways in his ministry, it doesn't just affect the pastor um, and and the pastor's family, of course. It it goes through, it sends ripples through the entire church. And and that can even send ripples into the community. So uh, that's how I ended up. Uh, I have a love for pastors. Uh, my son is a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My wife's dad was a pastor. So I, I, I've been involved in it all my life. And I just have a resounding 
desire in my heart to do whatever I can to help pastors stay in the game and stay healthy and help them navigate their injuries. Yeah. I mean, we've, unfortunately we've, we've seen so many pastors in their own lives. Um, and, um, I, a lot of them come back to, uh, mental health issues and feeling of burnout. And so such an important topic for us to dive into. Um, and so in fact, you, you wrote a book, uh, and I want to encourage people to take a look at it, but it's, uh, let's talk about ministry burnout and, uh, Great resource. Um, you taught this to our team uh, at Slingshot, and I when I when I was listening to it, I said, I gotta do whatever I gotta, do, whatever I can do to get this into the hands of as many people as possible because such an important, such an important topic. Um, and so I want to first of all say thank you for your research, thank you for your time uh, to help such a specific um, area that is greatly needed in our community. Well, that Ryan, that's why I I. Uh, named the book, you know, I, I worked really hard on, on trying to get a really catchy title. And um, at the end of the day, I just thought, you know, what is this book about? It's about elevating the discussion because what my research revealed, Ryan, was the, the, the rate of burnout is much greater than the discussion about it. And I think that's where the problem starts is that pastors get themselves into, into you know, along in the, in the burnout phases. And the further they get along, the, the less willing they are to talk about it for many reasons, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's, I mean, why do you, I mean, we'll dive into it more, but just kind of why do you think it is so much that we, that people don't want to talk about it? Then everyone knows it's there, but so many people don't want to talk about it. Um, I can answer that from a clinical perspective, but let me start from the personal perspective. You know, as pastors and ministry leaders, we are, if, if I could use this term, sales reps for the greatest product in the world. You know, the gospel, you know, the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of, of all our shortcomings, you know, the chance to, to walk with our creator. It's the best product in the world. So yeah. when, when, we, when we find that we're, we're struggling, you know, we, t we can take that really personally. And, and I certainly did. It's like, man, I, as a sales rep for the best product in the world, I suck, you know, mm. because I was achieving certain metrics of expectation. Um, you know, I felt that, you know, if I'm being paid to minister, I should be able to achieve these certain goals. And, and when you're not, you just, you just feel so crummy mm. about yourself. And, and, and then you, you know, the symptoms of depression, anxiety, you feel even worse about yourself. And when you're in that type of condition, you, you, there, there's this, this neurological tendency to, to withdraw, to isolate yourself. And all that does is perpetuate the condition, you know? Yeah. And, and so um, my, my research, bore that out as well as in my clinical practice, you know, the you more feel like there's some, some level of shame or even, um, feeling, feeling like, uh, man, I'm being exposed. Like I I'm fake, you know, I, I'm not, like, if I just prayed more, if I just love Jesus, then if I just did that, then, you know, I, I don't really need to talk to somebody. I don't really need a counselor. You think there's some of that? Yes. And it's on both sides. 
you know, the problem with burnout, ministry burnout is the further you get along towards clinical burnout, the more vital parts of your brain start to shut down. And you need those parts of your brain to be fully active in order for you to process, you know, what you're going through. So in, in, in other words, you're tackling a huge um, emotional, mental, psychological, and, and sometimes spiritual dilemma, because, you know, you still, you still believe in God, you're still trusting in Jesus, but you, you've lost confidence in yourself and you've lost confidence in your ability to lead. And, and so, yeah, shame, shame is a big factor. Um, and, and the more you feel that sense of, you know, I'm, I'm just not doing a really good job at representing, you know, what is the greatest message in the world. And, and so you, your thinking starts to get really spurious and um, right down to the point that, that there are some, some pastors that, that their, their thinking process is so diminished that they even contemplate drastic steps like suicide as being a solution. And you would go, well, how could a pastor who loves Jesus and understands the gospel get themselves to that point? Well, when you understand what happens neurologically in the brain, um, it's, it's more readily understand. You can understand it more readily because mm -hmm. the part of the brain that's really essential for helping you work through these issues is completely shut down. And so uh, without the benefit of that part of your brain, then the most illogical, irrational behaviors can suddenly feel rational and logical. Wow. Wow. Do you find in your practice or your research that there tends to be more of like geographical areas that maybe see more burnout and this kind of things like in the U S or overseas in Europe or the parts of the, the world you, you, or is it kind of pretty even? Burnout as my research has revealed is no respecter of geographical boundaries or denominational boundaries. I have, you know, I've, I just this week got an inquiry from somebody in the UK wanting my book. Uh, let's talk about ministry burnout in the United Kingdom. Obviously, you know, somebody who's interested in, in, in that title is experiencing, you know, some type of symptomology or they have a curiosity. Um, but, the research there's been there's been not a lot of research but there's been enough research to um, to reveal the fact that that burnout is not you know like a western uh, specifically a western condition um, and it it is it is across the board from Protestant uh, denominations through to uh, Roman Catholic priests experiencing uh, burnout you know the the reality is Ryan. It's a, you are serving people and no matter how noble and admirable that is, you can serve yourself into a state of ministry burnout. Yep. Yep. Which, uh, you know, you talk about on page 26 of the book here. I just wanted to read a section here for you. And then I'd love for you to just kind of unpack it. Because what I've found is that most authors always have a little bit more that they've learned since they wrote the book. And so I'd love just to hear a little bit more. But basically, the idea here is talking about the burnout risk zone. And so let me read this. Uh, it says, whether being a server in a busy restaurant or a physician in a busy hospital, 
an occupation relentlessly focused on meeting the needs of people can drain the life out of you. Scientific research shows prolonged stress makes individuals and significant professionals more susceptible to burnout. The constant responsibility for meeting the people needs of uh, meeting the personal needs of other people commonly places these workers in the burnout zone. And uh, for those of you guys that are, you know, watching, you can see here, um, he's got a diagram with one circle that says uh, dealing with people. And then the other circle that overlaps says responsible for favorable outcomes of people. And, in, and when those, those laps or those circles overlap is the arrow that says the burnout risk zone. So I'd love for you to unpack that. Give us a little bit about that. Ryan, thoughtful question, because it, the nature of ministry, the nature of being in a, in a people oriented uh, vocation is that um, we are held responsible for favorable outcomes. If not, you know, by our boards, by you know, people in general, the people that we serve, um, you know, they come to us wanting us to help them solve a problem. And yet, when we're not entirely in control of the elements needed to ensure that successful outcome, then you're in the burnout risk zone because you can labor away. You can give 110%, but if you're, if you're not in control of the people and, and ultimately in ministry and, you know, even as parents, you know, we, uh, you, we may be completely in control. Let me think as parents, no, even, even an infant, <laughs> you know, gets, figures out ways to control the parents. So, it's right. Uh, it's right. So, uh, um, when, when you feel the burden for favorable outcomes and yet you're not sufficiently in control of all the factors necessary to ensure that favorable in, uh, outcome, then you're in the vulnerability zone. And some uh, people uh, learn that the hard way. <laughs> I certainly learned it the hard way because I, you know, there would be signals that would come up on, on, on the dashboard of my life and I, I would just override the signals. And uh, a lot of people do because, and, and especially in this time, you know, it's like, you know, it's all, it's battle stations. <laughs> Everybody, sh you know, we got to put our shoulder to the wheel and, and, and we got to get this figured out. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we can, we can be so passionate about our ministry. We can have such a sense of purpose about our ministry. But if we don't minister from a place of well-being, our passion and our purpose can drive us into a ditch. And, you know, I call that ditch burnout. And so, you know, I, I totally believe in, in leading with passion. I totally believe in leading with purpose, but I also am a absolute advocate for leading with leading from a place of well-being. Otherwise your passion and your purpose will drive you into a ditch. And of course we, we know that there is an enemy in the spiritual realm. Uh, he's not going to get us on points of theology or, you know, questioning the gospel, but if he can leverage burnout, and discouragement, he will do that because he, he just wants us in the ditch. And he will use yeah. our, our noble purpose and our noble uh, passion to, to put us there. Wow. It's it just so complicated, you know, uh, and so deep that, that 
um, you know, God gave us such a burden for people. That's why most people got into ministry, right? Is this yeah. burden to help people. Um, and that, 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 that same burden that we have for people to help people is the exact thing that, that drives. It's like this, this vicious circle, right? It's like the more we want to help people, the more, and then, and the, you won't get that favorable outcome. The more we try and try and try and we end up trying even harder and that she keeps driving that wheel towards burnout. It's just, um, it's a vicious cycle to be in. Oh, well, it is because, um, you know, Jesus, when he was, when he had that great breakfast with Peter on the beach after Peter had so blown it and, uh, and, and Jesus is, is saying to Peter, Peter, you, you, you are not disqualified from ministry. And he says, you know, do you love me? Yeah, I love you and feed my sheep. Do you love me? And he asked him three times. And I think as pastors and ministry leaders, we forget that we're sheep too, and we need feeding. So, you know, we, we want to feed our sheep, but, but we just kind of, you know, we know, well, I'm not God, but we kind of think, well, I'm not a sheep too, because I'm feeding the sheep, but we're still sheep. We need to, we need to feed ourselves. I was, um, I flew into Indiana. Um, uh, no, it was Ohio. It doesn't really matter where I flew into. <laughs> uh, uh, but I got a rental car and I wanted uh, to drive over and see some friends in Illinois before I started this conference in, in Ohio. And uh, so it was about uh, seven o'clock at night, jumped in the rental car and it was a brand new one and I'm driving. And after four hours, this light pops up on the dashboard and it's a little icon of a coffee cup with steam coming up from the coffee cup and underneath the coffee cup, it said, please take a break. Mm. And, and now I drive older cars that are not as sophisticated as, as the newer models. And um, I thought, oh my goodness, I've got this, this machine telling me to take a break. Now, there are signals that God has put in us telling us to take a break. And often what pastors do is they get out a Bible verse and they tape it over the please take a break signal. Wow. You know, Bible verses like, you know, do not become weary of doing good because at a proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. So it's like, yep, write that on a business card, tape it over the, the stop and take a break signal that God, and I can imagine God is going, Come on, you're, you're using my word against me. I'm asking wow. you to take a break and you're, you're taping a Bible verse over it to excuse the fact that, uh, um, that you're just going to override that signal. Wow. Wow. Okay. So in the book, you talk about personalities and that certain personalities um, may be at higher risk for burnout. I love, you know, I'm a huge fan of personality. We do a lot of personality assessments and uh, personality, uh, you know, uh, understanding each other and working environments, things like that. So I'd love for you to talk about that um, and just give us some tips. You know, what are some of those personalities that should be look, look, um, looked out for and how do we, you know, grow in those? Ryan, this was the craziest thing, I, I, craziest discovery of my research when I was doing my dissertation is that I discovered that introverts burn out at a faster rate than extroverts. And wow. you're, you're, you're sitting there going, well, 
Okay, that's and your listeners may be going, well, that that kind of makes sense. That's no great, you know, earth-shattering discovery. Extroverts yeah. are more people-oriented. Of course, they, you know, they they're not going to burn out as much as introverts. Um, what floored me is the fact that there are more introverts leading ministries than extroverts. Wow. Six to, in, a, in, a, in a huge meta study done of over three and a half thousand pastors, 62% of them registered as introverts. Only 38% were extroverts. And so that's where, what makes me incredibly curious. It's, it's like, that's one of the questions that I'm going to ask, you know, God, when I get to heaven, why did you call people into ministry whose own personality construct made them more susceptible to burnout than others? Because it, it's, it's just, it was just uh, such a factor of curiosity to me. You would think that, um, well, you know, the, the, the inference is that, that people are drawn into ministry and their personality construct, construct is, is actually not as suitable for longevity in ministry. Um, now, there are, there's, and I, I need to kind of give you a reason for it. Pastors love, you know, they love people, but they love getting into um, to a deep study. And, you know, most pastors love to read. You know, my, my own son uh, is an avid reader. He's a pastor at a church up in Beaverton, Oregon. And uh, that he just, he outreads me every day of the week, that the level of, uh, of books that he's reading. If I were to ask him, what would you prefer to go to, um, to, go to a, a big party in your honor where you're going to get an award or would you like to be in a coffee shop somewhere drinking a nice cup of coffee, reading the latest book that you've got your hands on? He would go definitely the coffee shop every time. And yet he is, uh, he is in a ministry where, you know, it's, it's very people oriented, but he loves to study. He loves to think deeply about the issues. And that's what pastors, you know, most pastors love the deep dive into um, into theology, into, um, you know, the, the, the makeup of, of why people, you know, the motivations of people. So, you know, from that point perspective, you know, it, it's, it is a, a very, there's a lot of congruence being an introvert in ministry. But wow. uh, to your question, you know, what, what can you, you know, what can people of different personality, whether introvert, extrovert do to avoid burnout. Well, the, the number one thing, uh, Ryan, is just to be aware, you know, of, of where you line up um, in terms of introversion, extroversion. You know, there some pastors are what we call an ambivert. They're kind of right in the middle. Um, but if, you, if you're more an introvert, you've, you've just got to be aware of that, that, that if you allow your, if you don't, if you keep overriding the signals, uh, it will catch up with you. It's not like, it's not if burnout will catch up with you. It's just a matter of when. So the, the biggest thing is just be aware. I am an introvert and therefore I am in greater danger to burning out than an extrovert. Wow. That, I mean, just those numbers so high and I can, I can resonate with that. Um, just 
in my own self and in my own, you know, friends that people that I talk with, I can, I can definitely see, I feel like those numbers definitely are accurate from, uh, from my perspective as well. So, okay. We keep talking about, uh, the dashboard and those lights that come up. We've all been there, right? You know, the, the dashboard comes up with something and we kind of, kind of put our hand over it, you know, to kind of cover it up. So let's walk through some of those. And, uh, obviously, you're going to dive in way deeper in the book here. So I know you can't give us the whole thing, but can we talk about some of those stages of burnout and what there, what are some of those signs? Absolutely, Ryan. And my research revealed, and I did a, a, an extensive qualitative research, sitting down with pastors, hearing their story. And then part of qualitative research is to, to, you know, examine all the transcripts and look for the commonalities. And this is what came out of, of my research is that there are six uh, stages that you go through. And I'll just go through them really quickly for the benefit of your listeners so that uh, uh, they have a, a, a sense of where they may be at in terms of the, the various stages. Because the further along you get, the more critical it becomes. The first stage is is understandable. It's emotional exhaustion. And as pastors, we're often in that place of just, you know, we're just have given, given all that we can give. And, and that's natural to be emotionally exhausted. Jesus would become emotionally exhausted and he would get up early in the morning and go off to, you know, the garden of olives and just spend some alone time with him and the Lord. So it's not, you know, emotional exhaustion doesn't mean that you're, you know, that you are, um, you know, in the, uh, that you're in a, a burnout crisis, you know, but if you don't attend to it, then you'll move on to stage two, which is an, an increased frequency of, of negative assessment. And not only a, an increased frequency that is thinking negatively more often, but you stay in that negative place for an extended period. You know, it's, it's understandable that, that most of us, you know, enjoy our, our ministries. Well, you know, we should strive to at least be happy in our ministries, you know, 70 or 80% of the time. And, you know, but 20% of the time we're, you know, we're a little irritable and a little negative and assessing <laughs> things negatively. But the problem is that can switch where 80% of the time, you're constantly assessing things negatively and only 20% or even less 10% and 5% um, are you experiencing joy in ministry. And, you know, an example of a negative assess assessment would be to look at your ministry and just get, you know, really discouraged and go, man, this really sucks and I must suck at this. Wow. And then move into, um, stage three. Stage three is a loss of emotional stability and personal discipline and a loss of resiliency. So, you know, all of those things. So a loss of emotional stability. So you find yourself not, not being depressed, but kind of bouncing, bouncing into, into depression, into anxiety, into panic. And, and that, that just uh, emotional stability uh, starts to wane. Um, Personal disciplines, you know, pastors find themselves just zoning out on the internet. Some have even struggled with going to the wrong, you know, going to really unhelpful places on the internet. And it's because they, their tiredness has started to erode their uh, personal disciplines. Um, uh, just your fitness levels, you know, at this point, 
you know, you're not, you're not exercising, you're medicating yourself with food, you're eating more sugar. Um, and that puts you on the glycemic roller coaster. Um, and, and so you're starting to gain weight, uh, not feeling great at yourself, start wearing the same things over and over because they're the only things that fit. Um, and then um, a loss of resiliency. You find yourself not, not bouncing back mm. as, um, as you once might. And that's one of the signals on, your, on the pastor's dashboard. I've had pastors come into my private practice saying, I think I've got an anger management problem, you know, because I'm just flying off the handle at everywhere. Even people that I love, I'm flying off the handle. I've got such a short fuse. And then when I, you know, I look behind the curtain and, and do a bit of investigation, it's not an anger management problem. It's a burnout problem. Wow. You know, anger is, is a signal. A short fuse is a signal that you're running critically low on emotional reserves. And somebody in your church might just make a, you know, just a, you know, kind of a, a sideways comment, but you just, you, you go there for You get, you get, you may not express your anger, but I had one pastor say this person just, you know, brought up to my attention, this problem that we're having. He said, I almost bit his head off. And he said, and that's what drove him into uh, seeing me at the office because um, he said, that is so unlike me, but it's a, it's a signal. Um, so if you, if you find yourself getting a shorter and shorter fuse, that, that's an indicator to me that you're now in stage three. Um, stage four is isolation. Obviously, if you're biting people, wanting to bite people's head off, you don't want to be around people you know, because you, <laughs> you, you might just start destroying lives. Uh, you isolate because you just feel crummy. You feel that sense of shame. Um, and then stage five is diminished work effectiveness. And, and it stands to reason. Uh, Brian, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're emotionally exhausted, negative all the time, uh, you, you feel bad about yourself, you're gaining weight, you're snapping at people. So you isolate yourself. Well, then you compound that with you're saying that what over 60% are introverts to begin with. And so they're, they're wanting to do that naturally anyway. Yes, absolutely. And you start to cooperate with that. You know, part of being an introvert in ministry is, you know, I've just got to watch that I don't cooperate with that. You know, I want to be with myself, you know, all the time. Yeah. Um, but once you get to, you know, dim diminished work effectiveness, you know, that's when you're, you're turning up late to staff meetings or you're just calling in saying, you know, go take, run the meeting without me. Um, you know, people are not actually coming through and delivering on their promises and you're thinking, Oh, what does it matter? You know, let's wow. just move on. So your work effectiveness. And then once, once you're in stage six, which is identity impairment and confusion, you know, this is when you start asking those, those really dark existential questions. You know, who am I? You know, I'm a failure. Who would want me if my church knew that I was a, I was a fraud, they would, they would fire me. You know, I, and, and, and the, once you're in that stage of identity impairment, you know, I, I remember myself, Ryan, when I was in the depths of my, of my burnout, I, I would, I would say, I know God loves me because he, he you know, because that's his job specification. He's, <laughs> he's got to love me, but I don't think he likes me. I, I actually think he's kind of embarrassed, 
You know, he's got a, wow. a team of winners. He's got Rick Warren running the ball up and scoring touchdowns. He's got, you know, uh, you know, all these great pastors, Andy Stanley, who, you know, is kicking goals left, right, and center. And he looks at me and he goes, geez, how did he get on the team? Wow. And, and, and you would think, you know, how could you get there? as a pastor to think that God is embarrassed to have you on his team. But when, when you are in a stage of clinical burnout, and once you get to stage six, you as I said before, half your brain has shut down. So your thinking can't be trusted. And, and yet you're making big existential decisions about the meaning of, of you being in ministry. And, and you're bound with half your brain offline, you're bound to come up with the wrong answer. Wow. Oh, I, I just, I, mean, I don't know if you can feel it. I just feel such a weight and such a burden, even just as you're talking about that for so many people that are there. Um, so many pastors that are there and and I think in ministry, uh, so many people are alone and they feel like everyone comes to them, but they don't really have anyone turned to themselves. Mm. So what do they do? They're in stage four, they're in stage five, maybe they're in stage six. Is there hope? I mean, what, what do they do? How do they kind of turn, get that, get that 50% of their brain back in how do they get those emotions back in what what do we we, we do i know you'd spend some time in the book um unpacking that but i'd love for you to share with us just a little bit about how do we get back in the game how do we turn turn the tide there ryan super 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 good question because uh i want every ministry leader and pastor and anybody who you know feels burned out i want them to know that this is solvable this is, uh, you can be in stage six, uh, what I call clinically burned out in ministry, and, and you can get back to the vitality of what you had before you, you know, before you started on this burnout track. It is completely reversible. And, and oh, what are, uh, what are some of the ways? Okay, you and I are doing it right now, Ryan. We are, we are surfacing the subject. And we are, to use a clinical oh, term, we're that. normalizing it. Because part of, the, you know, part, of the, part of the loneliness is you think that I'm the only one. You know, I suck at this. God you know, is embarrassed to have me on his team. And you don't realize that there's, there are thousands of pastors who, who may be in that situation or have known what it is to be in that situation. And so... Um, so the fact that you are willing to address the topic of pastor mental health um, is, is, a, is a big part of it. Because, it, you know, I want to tell every ministry leader out there, this is, this is more prevalent than what, you'd, what you, would, um, that you would think. And uh, so here's a, here's a few practical things. Um, on my website, drwestbeavis.com, and Ryan, you'll probably put that in the, sh in the show notes. For but sure. if you go to drwestbeavis.com, on the, on the front page, I've got a ministry leader burnout assessment. It's a quick five-minute assessment that you can take. It's six questions 
and and you just click here, click there, and then um, it's also in the back of the book as well. There so, you go. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. And and you can take that assessment, and it'll give you a readout as to where you're at. You know, sometimes it might be, hey, you're doing okay, but it might be beneficial to be able to sit down and talk with somebody, or your res result may be you're in you're in the the danger zone of experiencing ministry burnout, or you know, or or it could just come out you are you are experiencing ministry burnout. Here are the suggestions um, that that I offer to help you start to reverse that. So there's a you know uh, there's a couple of things. The fact that you and I are elevating, uh, surfacing, normalizing the conversation, and uh, there's a ministry leader burnout assessment that they can take. Um, um, there is a growing body of people like myself who are specialists in, in counseling ministry leaders. And, and part of my research revealed that, you know, when I asked why um, pastors, why they don't go and see a psychologist and their answers were really credible. They'd say, well, you know, a psychologist doesn't understand my world. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to spend the first six sessions kind of bringing the psychologist up to speed with what it's like to be in ministry. And I get that. I get that. But there's a more and more growing body of clinicians like myself who specialize in the mental health and well-being of pastors. And I even put my phone number in the book here. Um, you know, I, I can do that because I'm, you know, <laughs> because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not known like Bob Goff <laughs> um, but but I, I want to follow in Bob Goff's example there, especially if you're battling, you know, just send me a text because I want to, I want to get you connected with some helpful resources. That's so good. So what if someone's listening right now and uh, maybe their spouse, their church member or board member, and they're starting to see some of these things how, how can someone as a spouse or a church member or even board member, something like that, um, maybe, maybe help their pastor, um, or maybe they're the youth pastor, the kids pastor, and they're kind of noticing some things in their pastor, um, that they might be worried about. What, what are some things that they might be able to do? Okay. Spouse. Let's break that up. What can a spouse do? Uh, my research revealed that most ministry leaders process their issues with their spouse. The only, the only challenge with that is our spouse is not clinically trained. Our, our spouses, and unless they, you know, unless they are, but most spouses aren't. And what I realized in my, uh, through my research, you know, wives and, and even husbands um, get to the point where they, they say, listen, I, you know, you, you're, you're coming home and you're, you're dumping all this stuff. And I, I'm not sure that I can, I can take much more of, of, you know, helping you process this. And, and what we're doing, we're turning our spouse into our therapist. And God intends our spouse to be a helpmate, yes, but also a lover and also, you know, a, um, you know somebody to walk a, along the journey, but not to be our doctor. Mm. You know, so, you know, our, our spouse, if we, if, we, if we came down with, the, with some type of virus, our spouse wouldn't say, well, listen, let me mix you up a potion of antibiotics in the kitchen here. Our spouse would say, listen, go, go and see a doctor. And I think that that is a good thing for a spouse to do. Hey, go and, go and see a specialist. And I've got many, a pastor in my clinical practice who are there because they, their wives or husbands said, listen, go and, go, go and get some therapy. 
Yeah. Um, so that's the spouse thing. Do, you know, if you're a ministry leader, don't turn your spouse into a therapist. Keep them as your lover and your helpmate and 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 uh, a co-parent and all, all that. Um, okay, church. Um, let's go church leader. You know, I, I love I love the idea of pastor appreciation Sundays, but giving a burned out pastor a gift basket is is just not going to cut it. Um, it's it's a nice gesture, but if you've got a pastor who is you know, emotionally exhausted and, and, and it is just drained. I, I think as minis, as, as, uh, leaders in the church, elders, boards, whatever, set aside funding so that their, your pastor can actually go and sit with a specialist. Now, you know, can your pastor emerge from, from burnout by themselves? Possibly but it's going to be longer, a longer process. Yeah, because what I see often is churches see this, the boards see this, and they say, hey, here's a, here's a two-week cruise, go, go off. Uh, and, and that's kind of what, what it is. I mean, is that enough or do they need to go more? Well, a, a cruise is wonderful if, if all your issue is that you're physically and emotionally exhausted. But if what's, if what's propelling that emotional and physical exhaustion, let's say you have some... Um, you have misplaced expectations or even some toxic expectations. Well, yeah, you're going to go, you know, go and sit on a beach in Hawaii for two weeks and you're going to come back and you're going to be physically and somewhat emotionally refreshed, but you have done nothing to resolve those clinical issues that actually drive you into burnout in the first place. And, you know, and I, I'm totally on board with pastors having sabbaticals and, and, and the, things like that, but it can be really dangerous for a pastor who is in a state of burnout to go on a sabbatical without becoming aware of the unconscious drivers that is actually contributing to their burnout wow. condition. So, you know, it sounds great. And I know that there are many church leaders that go, well, you know, pastor, we, we gave you, you know, two months sabbatical or three months sabbatical yeah. and, and three weeks later, you're looking as tired as everything. Well, you know, well, because part of part of what you're saying there is that part one of the, the part of the stages is isolation, right? And so now we've isolated you where you're not you're not even seeing people on Sundays or preaching, and so you're kind of even more isolated. Oh yeah, if, if somebody um, who's an extrovert who gets their energy from being highly engaged to take them from high engagement to you know you're you're by yourself for three months, that can be that can be really clinically problematic. You know, I, I would encourage ministry, uh, you know, boards and, and what have you to consult with somebody, you know, to come in and, and run a diagnostic on their ministry leader to make sure they're prepared, adequately prepared for their sabbatical. So halfway through their sabbatical, they're not experiencing, you know, panic attacks and, and inordinate depression because, you know, just because you're not showing up at the workplace doesn't mean that, you know, your, your brain shuts off. In yeah. fact, having the extra space, if you're in a, um, if you've got parts of your brain shut down, you can ruminate on some really problematic um, material. Wow. And, and there've been many a, a pastor who have come back from a sabbatical only to put their resignation in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen it. I've seen it. So uh, we know that that uh, mental health is not just an adult issue. 
Um, it is not just for senior pastors. I mean, this is youth pastors, this is kids pastors, but what I, I've got people um, that are uh, in um, health, mental health for children and kids. And so what, what can we do as parents to help our children? Um, or maybe if you're a, a kids pastor or a youth pastor, how can they help um, bring this topic and help students and kids? Well, for starters, we, we, can't, we can't effectively address the well-being issues of the people we're wanting to minister to or be in their lives when, when we're carrying stuff ourselves. Mm. So uh, attend, attend to your own issues. And, you know, I just, I just want to reiterate, um, what I'm finding more and more is that churches are providing funds so that their pastors can, um, can go and get a specialized clinical help. And because one of the issues was, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not, it's not cheap to go and sit with a specialist. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's an impediment uh, for a pastor, but, and, but it's an incredible investment in terms of return on investment to go and get um, your own work done. And that's going to help you uh, help others. And, and you're ministering um, out of your overflow. You're not ministering from an empty tank. And there's, the, you know, the difference between uh, engaging somebody out of overflow is night and day from trying to engage them when you yourself are suffering. Wow. And, and, and some pastors, you know, they, some ministry leaders, they make the mistake of, you know, I'm feeling miserable, but I'm just going to throw myself into the lives of other people. Well, you know, I get that there is, you know, there is certainly a cathartic, uh, cathartic benefits to that. But, you know, my, my question is, why not get yourself into a into a, a good place and minister and serve out of your abundance so having said that then you know how do we effectively to um to our kids um and and then there's there's one more thing too you know you said you know what happens if a youth pastor um is starting to notice symptoms in their senior pastor and that is a that is a really difficult situation because often a, a senior pastor is not going to be receptive to a youth pastor saying, Hey, I think, I think you're burning out. You know, I think the senior pastor is going to throw up all types of um, self-defense mechanisms at that point. What my research has, has profoundly revealed is that senior pastors have to lead by example when it comes to mental health. You know, it's, it's not enough for the senior pastor to say to his staff one day, you know, if you're experiencing anxiety or depression, we're, we're, you know, we've got this, this, uh, this clinician over here that we've contracted with and here we'll give you time off and we'll even pay for it. But you, you're, you're a little bit broken right now. So go and get yourself fixed. Well, hardly any pastor is going to take that up. Uh, well, actually females will take that up because females already feel like they're second class citizens as ministry leaders. So it's wow. like, yeah, I already, you know, what, what's a little more stigma for going to get in some counseling. Um, but for, for the young male youth pastor or whatever they're going, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go counseling that cause that's a big old signal that I'm broken. But when you have us, when you have a senior leader stand up and say, you know, 
I was, I was talking to my therapist the other day and he was helping me, you know, get wow. my head around a blind spot. And, uh, I just, man, I, I just, I just really appreciate the work that I did. And if any of you feel like you could do with some therapy, I re you know, it's really helping me. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to, I want to advocate for it. That is really powerful. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've been blessed to be around some leaders that do openly talk about that. And, uh, I can say, uh, that is, it's super helpful when that becomes a normal part of their conversation of, of, Hey, I'm getting help. I, I have people in my life that are helping me. Uh, it, it, like you said, it normalizes it as opposed to putting the stigma on. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing great. But if you're, if you're struggling, you know, here, go and see this person and, and we'll even pay for it. Well, you know, if you're struggling, you already feel shamed enough. You feel shame for struggling. And then, you know, to, have this, to be pointed out by, by the senior who obviously never has any personal struggles and yeah. never has to go and talk to somebody, you know, it's, it, it just exacerbates what I think is, is a problematic uh, dynamic within, within staff. Yeah. So parents helping their, their kids, what, what can they do? Well, it depends. It depends what stage your kids are at. Um, and it, especially in these COVID-19 times, um, it's, it's really stressful on parents because, uh, you know, their kids are, are experiencing something, you know, for, for many kids, this is, I mean, they, they're too young for 9-11. They're too, yeah. um, you know, this, this is not only a national crisis, this is a global crisis. And it's, um, it's challenging because uh, we've, got, we've got no other um, reference point um, I was doing a teaching uh, yesterday uh, on a Zoom call uh, with, uh, with a ton of other pastors, and I was talking about, um, you know, the good news about COVID-19. And so I listed out all the, the pandemics, uh, the major pandemics. There was about eight or nine of them in the, in the past, you know, few hundred years. And I said something in all of these, there's something in common with all of these pandemics. It's not the disease, because every pandemic is, is a different disease. And that's why it becomes a pandemic, is because we've got no, no existing resources, no existing protocols. Yeah. Um, and generally what happens is we, the, the, the disease runs its course, or the virus runs its course, uh, or we find a, a suitable medications, whether vaccine or a cocktail of medications that knock this thing on the head, or um, or herd immunity takes place. Those three factors are generally what causes the demise of a of a pandemic, and and generally uh, the combination of three of all three. But this is the one thing that every pandemic has in common, and. That is the, these three words, every pandemic ends. That's what they have in common. They all end. And I think that's something as parents, we can be helping our, our children with, we can, uh, we can acknowledge 
you know, it's important to acknowledge the reality where not, we're setting our kids up for cognitive, cognitive dissonance by not acknowledging it, but also just have, have something hopeful. Just teach your kids every, this is a, this is a pandemic, but every pandemic that has ever been faced in the history of mankind always ends. Wow. We don't know when it's going to end. It, it might be in months. It might, it, it might take, you know, over a year, maybe two years. But one thing we do know and we can hold on to is the fact that since the beginning of mankind, every pandemic ends. And so I just offer that as something for parents out there, uh, specifically at this time. You know, I, uh, Ryan, you, you'll have this on YouTube and, and a time in the future when people listen to this and they go, COVID-19, what was, what was, <laughs> what was that? that? I don't remember that. But for right now, that is, for those that are listening, you know, uh, you know years down the track, uh, this is a really big issue at the moment. And it has everybody flummoxed and everybody a little on edge. And I just want to uh, just bring those three hope-filled words. Every wow. pandemic ends. And so will this one. So good. So good. So, um, Wes, before we started recording, we talked about this a little bit, uh, but uh, I love for you to talk about um, what are some things that you br bring you renewal personally. And then uh, let's follow that up with what are some things that you see pretty common um, that bring renewal to, to other pastors? Every ministry leader's renewal go-tos are going to be different. And in my book, Let's Talk About Ministry Burnout, I talk about this. I say, you know, I could list down all the things that I do to rejuvenate my spirit, but it's going to be a distraction for you. The overriding principle is that you have to you have to concoct a list of, of uh, activities and go-tos that work for you. Because uh, Ryan and I, we're runners. In fact, we are crazy enough to run marathons. <laughs> and so, you know, so if I put down the list, you know, um, uh, to as part of my self-care, I run marathons. Then most of you would be, you'd be going, I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm, if he's advocating to go and run a marathon, I have no desire whatsoever. And, and you would, and that would, that would uh, re reduce the potency of everything else I've said. Yeah. Well, he's crazy. He runs marathons, <laughs> but marathons is on my list. You got to find something that works for you. You've got to create your own list. Don't use somebody else's list. Well, maybe there might be one or two things that resonate with you, but the other eight things you'll go, tried that, didn't work, tried that, didn't work, tried that, didn't work. Yeah, I, well, I, you know, obviously, you know, obviously that's, you know, going to be helped by, you know, the, the, it's incumbent upon every one of us as ministry leaders to, to know our signals, to know these signals, to know the stages of burnout, and to be able to recognize where you are on those stages. Um, it's incumbent upon us to take responsibility for enacting the protocols that will help reverse 
the, uh, the burnout of symptoms. And it's much better to, to develop that list when our brain is in a good place. Because by mm. the time you're burned out, you're, you haven't got the full resources of your brain creatively because your creative part of your brain is, is the first to shut down when you're burned out. So don't, wow. don't, put your, don't construct your list once you're in stage five or stage six of burnout. Have your list already made in the good times and carry it around with you so that when you start to feel the symptoms, you can look at that list and you can go, okay, I, uh, I'm going to go do that. Because yeah, um, I mean, my, my wife, there'll be times where she'll look, she'll look at me and she'll just say, you need to go for a run, go, go, go for a run, get out. You know what I mean? Go, go. And she, cause she knows that's on my list. You know, that, that is part of things that, that help me. Uh, and so I, I love that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, because there are, you know, we need to take breaks, you know, and, um, we've, we've got to recognize that time off is not a luxury. It's an investment. And, you know, obviously, what type of break should I take? Well, sabbaticals. You know, no pastor out there is having a sabbatical at the moment. I, I don't think. I haven't run into one. But a sabbatical is like three to, three to six months. But it, uh, then you've got an extended vacation, which is four to eight weeks. And then you've got um, a standard vacation, two to three weeks. And then you've got a week off, that's seven days. And then the next level down is um, a getaway, which is two or three days. And then the next level down is a full day. And I'm talking about 24 hours, no phone, no emails or anything, a full day off. But sometimes uh, you can't even see your way clear to get, having a day off. Then I advocate the micro vacation. And a micro vacation is something, if you can't take a micro vacation, and that is either a morning or an afternoon off. If, if you are so jam-packed that you can't take a morning or an afternoon off, then you, are a, you, you do need to go and, and see somebody to help you figure out why your thinking is, uh, thinks that that's a, that's a good and sustainable thing. But yeah. it, for, for a lot of us, the micro vacation morning or afternoon uh, is something we can all do. But one caveat, you cannot take a morning off and do what you always do. So for you and me, Ryan, you know, if we were to decide to take a morning off to go out for a run, that's not, that is not getting the benefit of a micro vacation because we're, we're just doing the same thing that we always do. A micro vacation requires novelty because we, we need to fire up parts of the brain that aren't used to being fired up. Wow. So, so if you never ride a bike, go for a bike ride. If you never have a picnic, you know, take your spouse or take yourself out for a picnic. Um, if, you, if, you've, if it's been years since you've been horseback riding, book, book a time to go horseback riding. You have to do something novel to get the refreshing effect of a micro vacation. So don't sit down and watch, you know, your favorite Netflix program. If that's what you always do, you've got to do something that you don't always do because that's, um, it gives your normal neurons that are firing all the time a rest and you fire up some, some neurological activity in a part of your brain that, that uh, hasn't been fired up. And when we come wow. back from that micro vacation, we can really feel refreshed. That's big. So, so it's, it's forcing that side of the brain that is dormant, 
to recharge and sending. I'm trying to, you know, I'm getting a little bit more ahead of probably my, my uh, education here, but it seems like that's what you're saying is that you're, you're forcing that side to wake up. Is that what you're saying there? Uh, yes. Not only forcing that side to wake up, but you're wanting to give that, that part of your brain that's always, you know, ministry and people and, and, and doing the normal things. You want to give that part of the brain a rest. That's it. That's good. I, so you're putting that side that's firing up kind of to rest and you're sending that over to the other side that uh, is at rest. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you know, if you've, um, you know, if, if it's been, if it's been 20 years since you've gone out and, and uh, surfed in the ocean, um, you know, those, those neurological connections that, that you trained to be able to handle, you know, be able to get up on a surfboard may be a little, you know, they may be uh, a little rusty, but they're still there. You know, uh, if you haven't ridden a bike for a decade, you, you can still ride a bike. It's just those neurons have, haven't, been, haven't been called up to action. And so it's like, yeah, um, deploy, deploy those things. You know, if, it's, if you play guitar, and you've, it's been years since you played, get your guitar out and spend an afternoon just playing wow. guitar, playing. So it, what it does is you're giving, you know, the part of your brain that's always firing up over certain issues and certain behaviors, you're giving that a rest. You're doing something novel, um, something that's not the same, and you're firing up uh, neural connections that haven't been fired up for a long time. And maybe, Maybe you're even, you know, f uh, firing up neural connections that have never uh, been uh, been fired up. Just they've wow. been there sitting, waiting for an assignment. And so you go, well, here's an assignment. We're going to go and, um, yeah, uh, do, do something novel. Wes, I could probably talk the rest of the day, and I know you probably could too, because man, this is so helpful and um, so needed. Um, I, I just, it's so tragic every time I see the news of a pastor who um, has taken their own life because of mental health. And, um, and so, but I know that there's a lot of pastors that haven't quite reached that stage six area yet, but they're in that three to four area. And um, to have those signs ahead and to have some tools ahead. Um, I, I just, I'm so thankful for your work and what you've shared with us. And I want to encourage people to keep diving in uh, because mental health is um, really, like you said, not really talked about as much. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that people are beginning to talk about it. Um, and uh, we, need, we need so much encouragement and help in this area. So thank you, Wes, for what you're doing. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know it's been uh, helpful for me and I know it's helpful for everyone who's listening. Ryan, it's been an absolute honor. Can I, can I encourage your listeners to go on my website and get a copy of my book, Let's Talk About Ministry Burnout? And uh, because I, I, I've written it in such a way that I've got the, the clinical data there, a lot of what we talked about here, but much, much more, and also just a truckload of encouragement that if you are feeling the symptoms of, of feeling mildly or chronically burned out, there is hope for you. It is absolutely solvable. Get the book. If you want me to, to write something special in the book, I would love to uh, do that for you. There's only one place in the entire world that you can get that book. It's not on Amazon. It's uh, from my website, drwestbeavis.com. 
And yeah. uh, if you if you want to get that, I would love to uh, get a copy into your hands. I love it, Wes. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and uh, thank you for your time. And uh, I look forward to staying in contact. Thank you so much. Ryan, I honor what you're doing and every ministry leader out there. I, I cherish what you do. I, you're my heroes. I, Ryan and I are all about keeping you on the field, uh, hopefully not getting injured. But if you do get injured, we're here to help you navigate that injury because uh, uh, there's just, as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, f are few. And Ryan and I, we don't want the workers to be few because people are burning out. So uh, be encouraged. Thank you, Ryan, and your awesome team and, and what you do. And look, we look forward to meeting you face-to-face uh, -face, uh, when we're past the season that we're in. All right. Absolutely. God bless every one of you. Thanks, Wes.